Having teenage grandchildren is just around the corner for us, and so it's time to start getting ready for the inevitable eye rolls and pulling away and maybe even a sense that our grands are not exactly as big of a fan of us as we are of them. I call all of these things inevitable, but are they really? Is there a way to avoid it, or do we just have to accept it as a reality? I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in today's episode of The Grand Life, we are going to talk to the co-writers of a new book titled Where Two Worlds Meet, A Guide to Connecting with Your Teenage Grandchildren. Author Jerry Witkowski is a grandfather and a great-grandfather, and co-writer Deanna Choss is the mother of an adult son. Both writers have given this topic a lot of thought, and if you have teenagers, we'd love to hear from you. Have you found grandparenting teens difficult or a piece of cake? You can write to us at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com. That's all one word, grandlifeconnection. Or if you want to do it the uh, the way it's been done for, <laughs> for decades, you can leave voicemail at 317-572-7876. And, of course, you can always add something to our Facebook pages, The Grand Life Podcast or The Grand Life Podcast Fans. Now to our conversation with Jerry and Deanna. I'm excited about our audience learning more about this book because I, I feel like we have not talked much on The Grand Life about teenagers because, to, to be honest with you, Mike and I only have, uh, uh, we don't have teenage uh, grandchildren yet. We are getting to that point. We have one who's turning 12 this year. So we are right on the cusp of this. And this is why I wanted to read this book. And I have to say to, to both of you that this was really, really helpful to me as we head into that time period with our grandchildren. So thank you. In your intro, there are um, four questions that you mention, and I feel like they're very indicative of what the whole book talks about. So maybe Deanna and Jerry, you can um, read those questions. It's on page four in the intro, and that will help us kind of move into the idea of what we're talking about. We're ready. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And these were questions. Jerry had worked with thousands of families and a lot of grandparents, and these were from recurring themes that he got from people, mm -hmm. uh, startlingly similar concerns. The first question is, how do I stay connected to grandchildren, especially as they grow up and I age? Great, great question. And I think we all feel that way. How can I play an active role in nurturing my grandchildren when I've had less than a ideal relationship with one or both of their parents. Mm, yeah. Rotten teenagers or parents. Yeah. <laughs> so with all the stresses and distractions of modern life, how can our family unit be truly supportive of each other, enrich each other's lives, and create lasting memories? What is my personal legacy to this family? And what can I do to make an impact? or to impart something of value while I'm still around. Wow, I love every one of those questions. And I wish that we had time to answer all those, but people will have to read the book, right? Because the book answers all of those questions. It goes into great detail about it. So 
So I have a little starter for this discussion, which I would like for you to explore with us. You say uh, a, a little further in on the introduction, when nobody's on the attack, nobody's on the defensive. And I wondered if you might be able to elaborate on that and how it affects how we approach connecting with our teenage grandchildren. Jerry, would you like to take that one? When you're with your adult children, you realize that these grandchildren are not your children. They're your adult children's children. Mm -hmm. Always ask permission. If you want to do something with your grandchildren, always ask permission of your adult children. When I want to teach my grandchildren values, like what is ballet? I want to take them to a ballet. Is that okay? It's blah, blah, blah time. It's downtown Chicago. Blah, it's all that. We're going to have dinner out or I'll bring them back home. So always ask permission. If you don't ask permission, Deanna, do you think that people feel like they're on the attack, like there's some kind of attack or, or people feel defensive? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that is what we're talking about, because unfortunately, a lot of the dynamics that adult children and their parents have were established actually when they were trying to figure out who they were as teenagers. Mm. And that's a stage of life where you immediately are defensive. Anything your parents say is an attack on who you are and who you're becoming. Mm -hmm. And so when grandparents come in and say, let's do this, let's do it this way, even when a grandparent is there 100% because they love their grandchild, they support their parents, That's they have pure goodness in their heart, it can come across as a critique of the parents' parenting. Yeah, I get that. Jerry, you're, you're 94, is that correct? I'm 95 next month. 95 next month. Well, congratulations and happy birthday a little early. Deanna, how, <laughs> I, I won't ask how old you are, Deanna, but I know that you have a, a son, right? A, a teenage son? I do. He actually is now 21. So the entire time we were writing the book, let's just say that I'm the role of the adult of the adult child. Yeah. So when we were doing the book, it was fascinating to me because I could play that conduit between my parents and my son. Mm -hmm. And what I found is, and this goes back to this idea when no one's on the defense, you know, no one feels like someone's attacking them. This idea, when you look at each generation as sharing that Everyone has something to contribute, mm -hmm. which is different than, you know, we like to call the olden days where the grandparents stood back and said, well, I'm the grandparent. You can do that if you want to, but you're not going to have that really personal relationship with your grandchildren. And honestly, a grandchild does give an opportunity for the adult parent and their parents to become closer together. I agree. I, I see that very strongly, and I, I agree with it because, I mean, things have changed. You're right. We used to have this kind of look at older people and think that they had all the answers and everything was all about them, and we didn't. We ignored teenagers and ignored what they had to say. And, and really, working together is the thing, isn't it, Jerry? Yes, and it's also opening yourself up to your grandchildren, your teenage grandchildren. Mm. I, I, I moved to assisted living here in California. And I get phone calls from my grandchildren in Wisconsin or Philadelphia. And they say, Grandpa, how you're doing? I always let them know what I'm going through. And I'm going to be 95. What does 95 really mean? Mm. What is the aging process? What do you go through? What do I go through as I age? And I share that with them. Yeah. And they share with me what it's like to be 25 or 32 or new job, uh, 
my grandson, the rabbi, a new synagogue. Mm-hmm. He shares what goes on. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, a, a vulnerability and a transparency that I think is really beautiful. Jerry, do you feel like you had to wait for your your grandchildren to sort of grow into that uh, ability to be other-centered when they talk to you? Or did you do things early in their teenage years that put them on that track maybe sooner than their adulthood? Always stay connected with your teenage grandchildren. Never give up. And if they don't, when you call them or text them and they don't respond right away, wait and try again. Never take it as they don't like you anymore or you did something wrong. You said the wrong thing to them. Just wait and try again. Or you send an email saying, what's the best time for me to call you? You make an appointment kind of thing. But you never give up. Never give up. Yeah, I think it's really important for us not to uh, get on the defensive or feel like we're victims. We we definitely need to not do that because I think that's easy to do as you get older. Oh, poor me. They don't want to talk to me. That kind of thing. I'm the grandpa. They should talk to me. <laughs> you know, along those lines, too, when you are trying to reach a grandchild and you haven't been able to reach them, the last thing you want to do when you finally get them on the phone is spend that entire phone call asking them why they haven't called you. Like, that's just a (laughs) non-starter. Yeah, absolutely. Good advice. Yeah. Pick something that was in the news. You know, we always say go to their school website so you can see what they're reading. Surprise them by ask them a question about you, a book you know they're reading in class right now Mm -hmm. because you get a conversation about something completely different even outside of your relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, I had my grandchildren send me all the papers they wrote from middle school through college. And the high school kids have to write papers and they would send me their papers. And I would always refer, what a great sentence that was in the paper you wrote. Or please explain what that word means. I never heard that word. Oh, that's so, so specific. You, you're engaging back and forth. Yeah. That's great. You know, one of the things we liked about the book is is this idea that you offered up of journaling expeditions. So uh, talk to us about how those work. So those are, when you talk about being very specific, people learn different ways. And so the idea that someone would read an idea that worked, let's say worked for Jerry and his family, it's from research with other families, but you really want to be able to apply it to your own family. Mm -hmm. And so what the journaling expeditions do is they're very specific And they are activities where grandparents can write answers to questions about, you know, even if it is, let's say, what are things you want to talk to your grandchild about? Well, you can brainstorm a list of 10 things Mm -hmm. so that when you're finally on the phone, you've got that list. Uh, It might be, what are the things you want to study? Uh, There's a story in the book where my mom was with my nephew and she asked him what he thought about the trade on the, the recent trade on the St. Louis Blues hockey team. Mm. And he answered, and then she said, oh, well, this guy's going to be great. And afterwards, I was like, how did you know that? And she said, well, I studied because I know that's what he likes. Oh, that's awesome. That's Excellent. so other-centered. And and that's one of the things I loved about that journaling expedition thing was, um, you know, it helps you kind of, kind of summarize or think about what you really want to do. And some of those were actually PDFs that you can um, go ahead and print out. Is that right? You can print them out. That's a context that you use to get them. 
That is a that is correct. And there's a couple that are fun. We even did it with my my immediate family, with my husband and my son. There's one about just comparing it's intergenerational sharing fun. So it's favorite movie, music, fashion, event that impacted your uh like your childhood. And so each person fills that out in a different column. And it's a really fun way to look at parallels. Yeah. You know, you might look at short skirts now that are shocking, but then look at like, what did we have like crocheted tops when I was a girl? Like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. And they don't even think of that because that isn't something that they grew up with. So it's great. That's another. What we're trying to say too is that. These teenagers are different than our our teenagers or when we grew up. And we say, prepare for the relationship. Work mm. and prepare. Yeah, I like that. And by prepare, it does mean starting, or you can start early. You can start whenever. If you say, my grandchild's a teen, I'm going to really get close to them now. But if you get in the practice when they're younger mm-hmm. of talking about things, asking them, you know, where they think flowers come from, or, I mean, you can, you can do deeper conversations when they're, when they're younger, it'll get you in the practice. That's true. And we're, we're practicing that now with our grandchildren as young as they are. We have conversations with them. We call them on the phone. And, you know, Jerry, in your book, you talked a lot about ways to connect with your grandchildren, some of which uh, we don't like as much. For example, we'd rather talk on the phone. They would rather FaceTime or they might rather text. So, you know, we have to kind of give a little, don't we? Yes, exactly. And uh, grandparents, the, the older ones, are not technologically clever. And so they want to stay with the old, put a nickel in the telephone box and talk. (laughs) Yeah. Well, those are bygone days. And unfortunately, we have to say goodbye to those, right? And just move on with the times. The last thing I want to ask you about, because I think it's a really important part of the whole picture, is talking about practicing forgiveness. Now, how does that work and how does it play out in a family dynamic? You practice forgiveness by, you can sense that something is wrong between your relationship with your adult children. You honestly say, Jack, what did I do wrong? I said the following thing. You don't seem to appreciate what I said. Let's talk about it honestly and openly. I'm sorry. Let's go for it. And you make the reach out first because sometimes they are, they have jobs, they are, they're, you, you just have to make out the, the reach out and there's nothing wrong with that. And you ask for forgiveness if I said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. They're your children, not mine. And you are a great parent. You're a great dad, a great mom. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot of affirmation as well. It's hard to raise kids. Deanna's kids said to her, I hate you. And she said to him, Thank God you're normal. You hate me. I love that. That's what I said. You know, there is information about what's developmentally normative for teenagers. And that is one of the things. So, yes, the first time my son said, I hate you, I looked at him. I said, oh, you're being developmentally normative. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Unfortunately, that is the truth, right? I mean, those frontal lobes are not developed until, what, 25 years old? 
right? It's 25 or 26. You know, the thing that's so important though, that as much as teenagers are pushing you away, they actually need you more than they would admit, both just because developmentally they need something constant in their lives, but also the world has gotten so crazy. And that's where grandparents can be that constant. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're that grandparent who's always there to talk to them, even if they didn't return your call last week, but you're there this week, you need to do that because they need that constancy and that support because being a teenager, they don't even understand what's going on in their bodies and the worlds. And they, it's good to know that there's someone who loves them unconditionally. Just think of the brain changes, the sexuality they're going through, the technology they're facing. It's a complicated world for them and it's overwhelming at times. That's so important to be reminded of because uh, as we go through our own changes, sometimes it's easy to forget that, you know, they're kind of on a, a parallel opposite track of going through changes that, you know, their their abilities are changing, their brains are changing. The 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 tech you talked about, Jerry, the the use of the technology has has crazy social implications that we don't have to live with, but we certainly can listen about and and you know seek to understand better. Uh well, great advice. When I was working with the high schools, they talked about cyberbullying. Yes. Where a kid it's a great a example. Picture of somebody and send it to, to 30 people immediately. Yeah, that's frightening. Yeah. But we do have a lot in common, and I love that you're bringing that together. You're talking about our in commonness, you're talking about our connectedness, our vulnerabilities, our transparencies. All of those things are wonderful. And I hope people will take time to read your book, Where, the, where Two Worlds Meet. They can get it on Amazon. Is that where they should go? Yes, they can get it on Amazon. It's also available as an audio book. So uh, it's a great book even for the adult for the adult child who might want to listen to the audio book as they're commuting. You can get it on Amazon. You can also go to wheretwoworldsmeet.com and find everything you want to know about the book. Oh, great. Well, Jerry Witkowski and Deanna Shoss, thank you for taking your time to do this. And we're just very excited about this as we enter into that phase of teenage grandchildren. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Mike, how are you feeling about the prospect of having teenage grandchildren? Well, we've talked a little bit before about how I connect better with kids that have a little bit more uh, cognitive and verbal abilities. It's harder for me when they don't have as much. So, honestly, I'm excited yeah. about the ability to work with, have fun with, relate to grandchildren as they get older. Yeah. Our oldest grandson is going to be 13 in a year and maybe five months. So we have a year and five months to get better at this. Do you think we're going to be ready? I, I think we'll figure it out as we go along. <laughs> you know, we certainly do have the benefit of great advice from people like Jerry and Deanna. Yeah, I'd like to prepare a little more. That's why I'm, I read the book. I've already read the book. And I, I loved it. I thought it had some really practical ideas in it. And I'm also reading some other things as I go. And I'm just trying to make sure that I'm going to do it as right as one can do it. I mean, there's no really right way, I suppose. One of the common threads that I think Jerry talks about is transparency mm -hmm. and, you know, being open and upfront and being more of who you are and being uh, unencumbered when it comes to exposing who you are. And I think as parents, sometimes we might have felt like we needed to maintain a certain face, a certain stern mm -hmm. face. 
yeah. where we don't have to do that as grandparents. So I'm expecting that as important as that trade is for both grandparenting and parenting, I'm hoping it's going to come easier when grandparenting. I think it will. Yeah, I think so. One of the things that I think is going to be really interesting uh, that he mentions in the book is uh, being very involved intentionally in what your grandkids are doing and being kind of able to have conversations with them about what they're involved with. And I think in general, I think we were good at that as parents. So I don't think that's going to be such a stretch for us as grandparents. Like I always wanted to look on the websites. I always wanted to read everything our kids were bringing home. I always wanted to be very involved in what they were doing. So I don't see that changing too much. I think that's something I will still want to do. And it's interesting because we are, you know, as everybody knows, we're moving to Virginia to be near our grands. These are the older grands. So this one who's going to be a teenager soon Um I'm already looking forward to going to his concerts and seeing more about his, learning more about his school and finding out about all of them, you know, all of the different things. And I think being a long distance grandparent to our Indiana grands, I think I'll do the same thing, don't you? Well, sure, but it'll take a different complexion. Well, S- yeah, we can't go to their concerts. They'll be long distance, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it'll still, though, that's a, that's a point. I mean, the point in the book was... If you can't go to their college, if you can't do the things they're doing as they get older, you can't go to all their stuff at their high school, you can definitely read their essays, look at the stuff that they're reading, look at the curriculum in their high school, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think we'll do that. I I feel pretty confident about that. So I'm excited about it. And uh, I think they're excited about us living here. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to decide, do we have what it takes? I think we'll have lots to talk about in the months ahead. I, I agree. And you know what? If Again, if you have any comments about that, I'm going to put up a question on Facebook, but I would really love to hear from all of you who have teenage grandchildren. I would like to hear your advice. What do you think is going to be the best thing to do? What is the strongest, most important thing for you to be doing with your grandchildren to develop that bond with them? So in the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Next time on The Grand Life. I thought it was really important how my grandpa ended up really making the most out of the last part of his life. He decided that he would learn how to use digital cameras and he started to take pictures of anything that would inspire him around the house. And then he learned how to use email and he would email those to us. So I still look at those emails to this day. And when I have a hard day and I think, wow, it wasn't, wasn't that amazing that, that someone was able to, to have the, the foresight to know that we could use this technology in a way that could really connect us and last way past his lifetime. That's next time on The Grand Life.